Welcome to Global River Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoyed today's message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit globalriver.org. There's been uh, one of the questions that came out of the, I guess, the woman's luncheon yesterday was about manifestations. And if you've been here at any length of time, um, sometimes we have manifestations that occur. He said, well, what is that, Pastor? I'm glad you asked. We're going to we're going to deal with that today the best I know how. I'm going to show you biblically. I've titled the message. If you don't have a copy of this, I encourage you to raise your hand. We'll get you another one. But it says, The Biblical Basis of Manifestations of the Holy Spirit. Are there biblical bases of these manifestations, both Old Testament and New Testament? As people of the Word, um, we want to study what the Word shows us because it equips us to understand. So in order to uh, go down this pathway, I want us to look at when we're driving down this pathway, there are boundary lines, right, that uh, we want to stay within the boundaries. Stay in your lane. You ever heard that, right? In fact, the other night, um, when I was driving down I-40, if you get a little distracted and you get over to the shoulder, you ever hit that, right? It's like, it's wake up, you're about ready to go off the road. My wife is always really happy when I do that. And so we want to stay in our lane, but we also want to understand where are the guardrails. After that part, there's the guardrail, right? You don't want to hit that either. So we're going to stay in our lane. So let me give you a couple of scriptures that kind of put the guardrails on this thing. The first two scriptures are, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Do not quench the Holy Spirit. If you're writing this down in your outline, write these down. These are scriptures that are given. It says in... um, both of these scriptures are purposed for us. First Thessalonians 5.19 says, Do not quench the Holy Spirit. Do not quench the Holy Spirit. And Ephesians 4.30 says, Do not grieve. So what's the definition of grieve? Oh, you got it? Make you sad? Disappoint? Um, So grieving the Holy Spirit is this place where we've made him sorrowful or sad or distressed. So he's saying, look, don't make the Holy Spirit sad. Okay, well, how would you do that? I'm glad you asked. We're going to go there. How about uh, don't quench? What's the word for quench, the definition of quench? Draw back, put out. Remember, you're going to quench a fire. You pour water on the fire. You quench the fire, right? So don't shut down or put out the fire. So what one of the boundary lines is, don't make the Holy Spirit sad and don't put out the fire, okay? The other scripture on the other side of this guardrail is out of 1 John, and it says this, you need to try and test. This is 1 John 4, 1. Beloved, believe not every spirit, but the spirits, whether they be of God. That's King James. New Living says it this way. Dear friends, this is 1 John 4, 1. Dear friends, Do not believe everyone who claims to speak by the Spirit. Test, test it to see if the Spirit comes from God. So one line, one boundary over here is we got to test this and try it out. What does it mean, test, try it out? Jesus tells us you will know it by its fruit. Remember, the tree will be known by its fruit. And over here is don't put out the fire and don't make them sad. Drive down this road, but stay in the boundary. Stay in your lane. And okay, so this is that tension we see in Scripture. So those are the, the Scriptures kind of that we want to look at today. There are a whole bunch of Scriptures that deal with You can look it up, but it says in Acts 7.51, he says, this is not very positive. Acts 7.51 says, you stiff-necked people. Yeesh. What does that mean? Like, right? Uncircumcised in your heart and in your ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. That was not a real positive. You, a bunch of stiff-necked, stubborn, you know, like, whoa. How about Isaiah 63.10? But they rebelled and grieved His Holy Spirit. Matthew 12.32 says this. This is a warning Jesus gave us. In fact, it's in Mark, Luke. Any, whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man... Now, that's Jesus. Whoever speaks against Jesus, used his name in vain, that can be forgiven. But whoever, whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven either in this age or in the age to come. That's a really 
sobering scripture. And I've had people, Pastor, you know, I didn't always believe in the Holy Spirit. The fact that you're here and you're in pursuit, I think you're okay. (laughs) But we need to be careful. In Matthew 12, that scripture is one that we use often in deliverance training. It's the one where he says, who can bind the strong man? Who can go into the strong man's house and bind him first, right? And so he talks about someone who is stronger. Well, that scripture, Jesus references, remember, he cast out a demon, and the Pharisees come and say, well, he can do that because he's the prince of demons. And that's the context Jesus uses. You're attributing, he says, when the Holy Spirit comes and a person is delivered into, from their darkness, the kingdom of God has come among you. So that kingdom of God has come, and they were attributing the kingdom of God and the Holy Spirit's presence to set a person free as satanic. He says, I want to warn you about this. You attribute the things of God and the Holy Spirit to the things of the darkness, you're treading on very dangerous ground. Now, so we want to look at the biblical, biblical basis of these manifestations. Some of you have either read my book or been here a while, you know... Um, when I first came here, quick story to get everybody on the same page, because my background is kind of rigid. I was raised by a lieutenant colonel in the Marine Corps. I went to a military college. I was trained by Rickover's Navy to run fast attack nuclear submarines, right? I went through training for years on different submarines. And so in that training process, you, you go through a process, you start out, first you go to nuclear power school, you run, learn all the theory, and you're there with enlisted and, and uh, officers at that time in the Navy, and then at that point you go and you're put on a different watch station in a submarine. You'll be at the feed station, the electrical panel, the reactor operator, so you're learning all the different pieces of the submarine propulsion system, right? And then you go from theory to practice. It's one thing to sit in a classroom. It's another thing to get in the engine room where it's hot and sweaty and when a reactor scrams or the submarine's going to sink because there's a flooding, it's a little different than your theory. You better know what you're doing. You better cool, be cool under that. Well, I was trained, and they do all these. One thing about Rickover's Navy, amazing. You can be really proud of our submarine service. Those nuclear guys, they really know their stuff. And so Rickover was always deliberate about training. So in my training as engineering officer of the watch, you got, you got the conning station where the officers and the, the navigators, the CO and, and the XOs are operating. The, they're looking at depth and control, and they've got all this sonar and everything. And then in the engine room, we're propulsion guys. You got to keep the reactor plant. You better keep the propeller tr- turning on this boat and respond to maneuvering, or you can go down or get shot or whatever, right? So as engineering officer of the watch, you're multitasking. You got all these electrical panels, propulsion panels, and you're sitting there, and then have a reactor scram, lose propulsion, or have a flooding event or fire. Flooding and fire in a submarine is the most scary things, because if you lose your buoyancy, you go to crush depth, and you die, and we've lost two submarines that way. And so, so in that multitasking is engineering, you got to be cool. You got to figure out what's going, even when they throw all these crazy things at you, or circumstances, you got to be cool under fire, Give your directions, you do this, you do that, and you're trying to multitask and get yourself, okay. So, oftentimes my wife will tell me, Tom, you don't need to be the engineering officer of the watch right now at home. (laughs) Right? Um, And she's right. And it's like, you know, anyway. So, my point of all this is there's a part of this process. I came in here. 1984, and I sat right where about Baruch is right now, in my three-piece suit. We had been to a, a denominational church when, we, when I got transferred here to the nuclear site at Castle Hain, and so I'm at this denominational church, and we'd been there, and if you all know Katie, Katie, when the Holy Spirit starts moving, Katie knows it, and when it's not moving, she also knows it. <laughs> and so she, we call it kind of the Holy Spirit canary in the mind, you can tell. So whenever the pastor at this denominational church would start to speak and profess power, she'd go, amen, amen. She's like a Miss Addie in white, right? And so, and I love it. I mean, man, we, sometimes I'm just too white. We need some more of this. Come on. And so anyway, so Katie would amen. Well, one day we get this note passed to us anonymously 
to my wife, it says, keep your daughter quiet in service. We don't allow that here. You can't raise your hand. You can't, amen. You just, you can't, you're like, well, that's like putting Katie in a street. Check. Good luck with that, right? And so, anyway, we didn't, had not had the, uh, the um, John Bevere study on overcoming offense and all that at that point. So we, we, my wife, we're out of here. So she leaves, but I've got four weeks left teaching the, the uh, middle schoolers and high schoolers, so I've got to finish my obligation there. And so Ginny finds this church and comes here. And four weeks later, she's telling me all about it, like, yay, it's all awesome, it's free. And it, oh, okay. So I come in here, and I my three-piece suit, and there's a Harley parked out front. And there's a guy up here, Bert Aguilar. I think his ministry was Bikers for Jesus. I believe he's in heaven now. So he's got the ponytail going. He's got a a T-shirt, hello, right, cut off, God rules, right, and, and he's up there, I'm like, and the Harley, I'm like, okay, this is for the control kind of guy, this is like, what's up with all this, and I sit back there, and uh, all of a sudden, the worship starts, flags are coming out, prayer's going on, Holy Spirit's moving, people are falling out in the spirit, and I'm like, uh, okay, and I turned to my wife, I said, we got to get out of here, this is a cult. And you, you ever get one of these wife looks? Like, you better sit down and be quiet. Don't embarrass me now, or I'll take care of you later kind of a look, you know? And so, so I like, okay. And some of you know what I'm talking about. You're looking at each other. I can't tell you right now. So, but if you've ever felt the presence, remember he said, remember he told the disciples after John 6, he says, you know, eat my flesh. They all leave except the disciples. Where are we going to go? You, you have the, the, the spirit of life. So something comes alive on the inside when you get in the presence. So you may not have a, your brain can't connect yet, but your spirit man knows, right? And so, so we stayed here, and over the next three and a half years, we got discipled and fed, and on it goes. Well, after I got transferred to the motors division, and I stayed really close with all the folks that were here. We ran small groups here. We got really blessed, and Pastor Steve Mattis and Cynthia discipled us. We went, Neil Blake's here. We went to Colorado, Neil and myself and several others, senior pastor. And if you ever sit in a tent for 10 days in the snow, minus 5 at night and uh, 40 during the day, and you're elk hunting on horseback, and there's no TV, and there's no, so what do you do? You process life, right? So I get, I get processed um, about what do you want to become when you grow up. And after 26 years, 25 years with General Electric, I come back here as the associate pastor. And so the first year was pretty awful. Those who were here, it's like I tried to bring GE corporate here. We did a thing at Beau Rivage, and I had flip charts, and I had whiteboards, and... Uh, I still had my pocket protector, and oh, it was, it was awful. <laughs> no spirit, but yay. Um, anyway, but the Lord didn't give up on us, praise God. He began to work in us in performance, right? Philippians 1.6. So, so anyway, what happens is I'm here a year, and I read out of Mark 16, go into all the world, the Great Commission. It's not a great suggestion, Right? <laughs> Go into all the world, make disciples of all men. Those who believe will be saved. Those who don't believe will not be saved. And then it goes on and says, these will be the signs of those who believe. First one is cast out demons in my name. Don't do that. Don't even want to know a demon. Right? Lay hands on the sick and they'll recover. Handle deadly things. Some says vipers without harm or drink poison without harm. Handle deadly, somebody translation, handle deadly things without harm. And that scripture really pretty much messed me up. I'm reading it. It says, I didn't resign from the General Electric Company to come here and mark time. And I don't have, I've never cast a demon out. I don't even want to know one. And I've laying hands on, I've had my daughter healed. That's why I'm saved. But I don't see any of this going on. As far as handling deadly things, what does that even mean? And then Randy Clark comes here and says, I'm going to the nations. I need a team to go with me to Brazil. And 11 of us from this church go to Brazil. Katie, my wife, um, Phil Walls, Pat's husband, and, and several. And so that began the journey of, 
a journey into this presence of the Holy Spirit for me. My prayer request at that time was, Lord, I, I read this scripture. I'm going to go with Randy. I don't, you know, his, his ministry manual was a few pages. There was like a two or three liner on deliverance. <laughs> and so I'm the only pastor. Well, it's myself and Tom Rotolo who runs uh, Cityquake now with uh, White. Um, yeah. Todd White, yeah. And so he was a pastor at the Vineyard Church, in a Vineyard Church as well. So we get there, and that night, the first night there, there was an impartation that Randy Clark gave me. Now, how many have ever heard the expression, the Holy Spirit's a gentleman? Ever heard that? Yeah, and he, he probably is. He, uh, I believe he is. Um, but there are moments when he will interrupt your life to get you to understand what's really important. And so a gentleman may, uh, may interrupt at a moment. Uh, he'll do it in a way that... But he was answering my prayer. I said, Lord... Here was my prayer request. Lord, I have to see your power. I can't come here and, and do this thing and your presence, I, I'm lacking something, so I want to see your power and I want to live Mark 16. I've got to have, in my wake, my, behind my ship, there needs to be signs following because it says in Mark 16, if you're a believer and you're not casting out demons and you're not handling deadly things without harm, whatever that, we'll talk about that in a minute, you're not uh, laying hands on the sick and these signs are not following you, then you need to challenge where you're at. Amen? And so, so I was undone. So be careful what you pray for. So the night that we're there, that first night, Randy Clark says, I need to do impartation on your team, this team of those... Uh, 14 of us there. So he takes us and he, he uh, comes to lay hands on us. We're at the, was it like the 17th floor of this hotel, if I remember right? Because Ginny had a vision of a big dark spirit, if I recall, over that whole city that we were in. And so here's what happened. I'll just cut to the chase. I had asked for God's power. So when Randy started laying hands on each of the individual team members to impart to him. He's the apostolic leader. We've been invited by apostolic leadership in Brazil to be there. So our, our um, elders had given us permission. So all the alignments were there properly. And he, as he lays hands on one of our guys, all I can tell you is I was behind him with my hands on him, and I felt a power surge. I don't know how to explain it any other way. A power surge that came up almost like from the floor, like you'd stepped into an electric thing. And I got catapulted back. I landed on a table, rolled over, and did a face plant. I had uh, bought titanium glasses that were guaranteed not to break. And when I face planted, boom, the lenses came out. The, le the, the, the metal broke, so much for titanium. And, uh, and so, and then I was instantly spinning about. I got rug burns. I, there, there was skin off here, skin off here. There was the guy who was sitting in a chair. He was probably 180, 70 pounds, something like that. As I spun, I hit it with my leg, and I bent the metal chair leg. So I am hurting, rug burned, um, but I'm instantly, uh, I'm instantly in a place where, let's just say in my past life, if you've ever been inebriated, there was a sense of that. And I turned to my wife, and I, and I said, honey, take me drunk, I'm home. And a bunch of the guys picked me up and brought me down to my hotel room, and for the next, I don't know, hour and a half, two hours, all I could tell you is there was a presence that had taken over my physical body that I could not control. And I felt this amazing love. I was sore. I can't really see. I didn't have replacement glasses. I had to actually get an ophthalmologist a, day, a couple of days. So, but we got to go to this church, Agua Viva. We're going to be the ministry team at this church, church of 300 in a really poor, impoverished area. And uh, we're going to be the ministry team. So we walk in, and I was overcome by the Spirit when the worship, this Brazilian worship in this, you know, love, the Lord loves to show up in poor places. He likes mangers, you know, he likes play, right? And so all I can tell you is I walked in and I, I, I started to just tear up. The worship was, I, I walked into a presence that I could not uh, contain myself to the point where, oh, this is beautiful. These people, and you could see it. The Brazilians expressed themselves anyway. Where's Maria? 
right? We've got Argentines, we've got Brazilians. It's like, wow. So they like, yay. So they're not like us Westerners, like. Yeah. So, so anyway, so I'm overcome by that. So we get up, on, so I'm up on the stage. We've got Randy, we have a translator, we have the pastor of the church there. And the worship team's going and the place is packed out. And all of a sudden, I start to feel that same thing happening to me. And I'm going, there's a drum set behind me. And I'm like, oh, this is, Lord, you wouldn't do this again, right? And, and I got an instant word of knowledge that says, this happened, <laughs> hallelujah. The, um, the um, um, oh, the word of knowledge was, pray for the terminally ill or the really sick right now. So I turned over to Randy in worship. I said, Randy, we're supposed to pray for the terminally ill and the really sick right now. We're supposed to do it. Well, they're in the middle of worship. He's going to preach the gospel. So he stops the service and says, Pastor, got a word of knowledge. All of you who are terminally ill or really sick, go with him and his team to the back room. They're going to pray for you. And I'm going, no, Randy, you have to come. We, we have no experience. He goes, you'll be fine. Go, go. I've imparted well, that was the night that we, I witnessed, we witnessed incredible miracles. And the Lord is so graceful. Uh, if you've read the story, this, this was the transforming. This is the first time I saw a deliverance miracle. And there are those that were here, that are present. Jenny's here, Katie's here. So this woman, her name, um, Priscilla, comes in, and she's, she comes in like this, walked over, all bent, and her, her leg goes out this way. And she's in front of Ginny, and Ginny's praying for her. And I'm praying for a woman whose husband just died of AIDS. And she's mad at God. She's, she thinks her children, her two children may have gotten AIDS as well. She's mad at God. She's mad at her husband who just died. And so I'm trying to pray comfort and, and hope and encouragement. And then my wife goes, explains to me, this woman came in and said she's been crippled and she's been cursed by Makumba, that her father had made fun of a neighbor next door who was crippled, so that neighbor went and paid the Makumba witch to place a curse on his family. And which happened at one years old, Priscilla's leg turned out, and she's had multiple surgeries and unable to be uh, set free from that. And so, in the midst of praying for that, we, we recognize she's come here, she's a, she's a saved believer, she wants, she's willing to forgive the witch, she's their father, all the kids who made fun of her, all the doctors are unable to, so she, we go through all that process, and she's good, and then the Lord said, now pray to deliver her. And in the process of doing that, it got very, very dramatic. I'm talking about garbage can, and it, all of that, and the team is watching what's going on, and this thing is pretty dramatic. After we prayed every demonic thing that I could remember in, in Pigs in the Parlor from the list, she says, um, I think I want to walk. She turns to the translator and says, I want to walk. And as Ginny and I got on either side of her, as she walked across the room, her leg went straight and her back straightened, Amen. right? And I'm like, and I, you know, here's, here's the nuclear engineer. If you don't smell it, taste it, feel it, it didn't happen, yeah. right? So my brain goes, what, what just happened here? What was this that the power of Christ came in such a way that transformed this demonic infirmity spirit from a crippled person now to one who can walk straight? And that transformed me from that moment on. And the room, I remember Pat's husband, Phil, my armor bearer, best friend, he was, he was a man of faith. You know, he'd been through a lot. He'd been through drugs. He'd been through prison. He'd been to Vietnam during the Tet Offensive, and I did his prayer ministry, all that stuff for PTSD. But he was a man of faith, and if God said it, he believed it. They called him the, do the doctor of fire in, in Brazil because he'd come, fogu, fogu, mice in your mice, and he'd laid hands on it. You'd have 250 kids electrocuted under the fire of God. And this woman walks in, and now Phil says, God did that. This woman had a goiter the size of a softball on her neck, Phil goes over and says, in the name of Jesus, go. That thing disappeared, pow, right in front of our eyes. You cannot see these things and experience these things and be the same. So what's the fruit? Well, is that God? Well, what's the fruit of it? The crippled or the lame walk, the blind see, the deaf hear. Seems to me that's something that the book says, right? And so when we start to experience the manifestations 
let's look at the outline because I want us to know we've had some wild phone calls. We've had people that call up. This is a no joke. They'll call up and say, do you do snakes at your church? And you know me, I only, we only do that on Sunday nights. We don't do them during the week. <laughs> but but, but what they, they've heard of opportunities for healing and deliverance, and they're desperate, but they're afraid. And I get it. You should, you should don't be careful where you go. We've also said, can you guarantee me when I come there, nobody will speak in tongues? I said, wow, uh, no. The other one was, um, and what they're saying is we're afraid of tongues. Tongues must be of the devil. That's part of the rumor and lies that are out there, right? And so have you read 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14? Paul says, I speak in tongues more than all of you, and I don't forbid it. So I don't know where you're reading. But anyway, so we've also had him say, do you have, I've been told there's no chairs in your church because you'd go do all that dancing and rolling. <laughs> and I said, well, we got a few chairs. You'll be all, you'll be all right. And so anyway, these are, these are, honestly, these are things that have been asked of us. So top paragraph, the biblical basis of manifestations of the Holy Spirit. Our meetings have often been characterized by visible signs of God touching people with manifestations such as falling under the power of the Spirit, laughing, crying, shaking, when I first experienced this, I had questions why these manifestations occurred and were they biblical. We will see scripturally that manifestations are throughout Old and New Testament. I'm aware that when God is moving powerfully in a meeting, the Holy Spirit is touching people and the flesh and unclean spirits often react. It is scripturally unwise to judge what we see based on past experience. Jesus warned that, attributing moves of the Holy Spirit to Satan. But we are, not to, in, we are not to believe every spirit. We're to test the spirits to see if they're from God, 1 John 4, 1. We need the gift of discernment, and we need to ask God for wisdom. My experience traveling the world is that many believers have never been biblically taught of the Holy Spirit, the multiple baptisms that are in Hebrews chapter 6, 2, it's plural, the gift of the Father that was sent to transform us with power, and the lack of teaching and equipping and the fear of deception or wrong theology leaves us powerless to overcome the flesh and darkness. Now, physical manifestations. Let's look at Old and New Testament. We'll run through these quickly. If you turn with me to Exodus 19. In Exodus 19, here's the, the context here in both 19 and 20. They've just been led out. Through, from Egypt, they get out of Egypt exactly two months, Exodus 19.1, exactly two months after the Israelites leave Egypt. Now, they've seen the plagues. They've seen the Egyptian army drown. They've seen the Red Sea open. I mean, if you don't believe God's operating, you, you, you wow, you really, right? So they, they know that God is with them, and the Lord gives them through Moses. He tells them, look at this verse. I love this. Verse 5. If you will obey me and keep my covenant, you will be my own special treasure from among all the people of the earth. For all the earth belongs to me, and you will be my kingdom of priests, my holy nation. You know that's in the New Testament too, right? First Peter chapter 2, a holy nation, a, a, a nation, a kingdom of priests, the living stones. So that was fulfilled in the New Testament because they were not able to do this in the Old Testament to completely, right? So we see this. Is, he tells them, this is what's going to happen. I want you to gather the people. I'm going to show up, verse 9. The Lord says to Moses, I'm going to come in a thick cloud, Moses, so the people themselves can hear me when I speak, and they will always trust you. If Moses were to come and tell us, gather, the Lord's going to show up, and then he shows up in a cloud, you'd probably have some trust in that leader. I would think, right? So he wants to validate the leadership of Moses. So he does that, and man, it's awesome. Look at verse 16, Exodus 19, 16. On the morning of the third day, thunder roared, lightning flashed, dense cloud came down from the mountain, a loud blast of the ram's horn. King James says it this way, a voice of the trumpet. There are places there where we've been where you'll start to hear like angel voices, and you, no one's singing, <laughs> This is the place where the voice of the trumpet blast comes out, and it's like loud, and it's getting louder. This thunder, can you just go there for a moment, shaking, thunder, lightning. It's like, would you be a little frightened? Like, 
Yipes, this is getting a little uh, dramatic. I thought church was supposed to be really quiet and in order and everything is like, you know, God just, he, they, it can be, but I don't know where we ever got that from, that it has to be so, right? It's not biblical. It is. There are places where we're quiet and pious and that's okay, and reverent, a secret place going there, yes. So he goes on and says, man, the, the thing gets louder. It's shaking. Thunder's happening. Finally, the people look at uh, chapter 20. At this point, verse 18, it says, when the people heard the thunder and the loud blast of the ram's horn, they saw the flashes of lightning, smoke billowing, the mountain in the distance trembling and with fear. And that's where they say, okay, you go talk to God for us because we, we don't want this. <laughs> this is too spooky. You do this for us, right? Wow. Okay, so I want us to see when God shows up, there can be fear and trembling. Number, number two, fear and trembling came upon them. Remember this? I preached this actually a few weeks back in Matthew 17 where the transfiguration, where Peter, James, and John go up on the mountain, right? And they meet with Moses and Elijah. And Jesus is transformed in front of them. He becomes like light. His face, his clothing. They're not spooked. The three disciples that are with them are not spooked by Jesus transforming, how did they know it was Moses and Elijah? They have name tags? I mean, how did this, I mean, they, and like, whoa, we want to build altars. And, let, and then what happens? The father shows up and the voice. And at that point, they hit the turf and it's like, <laughs> there's something about the voice of the father. This is my son. Listen to him. Right? There's something about that that like said Isaiah 6 experience where he's overcome. Isaiah's overcome. I'm a man of unclean lips. Right? The temple of the robe of it fills the temple. Right? I need my lips cleansed with the burning coals because there's such a presence of holiness. So we see. How about the next one? Number three. Daniel fainted. He fainted and he was sick for days. Whoa. Have a vision and faint and get sick? That can't be God. Oh, really? Daniel trembled, Daniel 10, number four. How about number five? Peter changed his religious and cultural practices based on a vision. He no longer became kosher. When the sheet falls down, remember that in Acts? He says, eat. No, you can't eat that. It's unclean. Don't you tell me that it's unclean. If I say it's clean, it's clean. Yes, boss. And so what happens? He changes his practices. How about when the people fell backward? When Jesus is in the garden, they come and says, are you him? I am. And they all fall out under the Spirit, right? They fell to the ground. They were knocked down. Number seven, God knows his presence will cause a shaking. In Jeremiah 5.22, it says, let me turn there for a minute. In Jeremiah 5.22, there's something about the arrogance that can come. It's a warning. My Bible titles this in James uh, Jeremiah 5.20, a warning to God's people. Make this announcement to Israel and to the people of Judah. Listen, you foolish and senseless people, with your eyes that do not see and your ears that do not hear. Have you no respect for me? Why don't you tremble at, tremble at my presence? Wow. I am the Lord who defines the ocean's sandy shoreline, the everlasting boundaries of the waters, so there's something about not being able to see or somehow not reverence. And this is that reverential, this, again, the tension in Scripture where it says we reverentially honor him. Malachi 3 talks about those who fear and love the Lord, reverentially honor him. They will be my children on the day. I keep a book of remembrance of those who love to talk about me. You'll see the difference between my children and those who are not on the day that I act. So there's this, again, tension between you can walk right into the presence of God because there's no more shame or guilt. He's like, I want you to be my friend. I want you to be familiar with me, but I also want you to recognize I am God and there's no other. There's this balance. It's like, so be peaceful, but recognize, don't become so familiar with Jesus that you can be critical and judge. This was so arrogant of me to come in here and sit there and say, this can't be God because I was in some denominationalism of a religious spirit and judge what's going on based upon my, my God? How, how arrogant can you be? Now, you may not understand. You've got to test what this is, 
But watch out that you don't attribute the things that could be of God. That's why when people, well, what about gold teeth? What about feathers? And these are signs to wonder after. But when a person gets $5,000 worth of gold fillings in one, is that a bad thing? Come on. Right? Yeah. So, well, God gives jewelry to his, I give jewelry to my bride. She wants more, but she just, she just took me to a jewelry store. Good Lord. Been there and done that. But God gives jewelry to his bride. So, I, hey, I don't know. I, I don't have to. Well, let's wait and see what happens with the fruit of this, right? So, let's move on. We can see this, that there's this place. How about his presence brings strange reactions People unable to speak. Remember Zechariah? Nine months. We've got to shut this guy's mouth. He's going to mess this up. Boom. You don't talk. It's like, was that God? Yes. Was it a blessing? Yes. He waited for a long time for his older wife to get pregnant. And he'd given up. He says, I'll take care of this. God sees your desire of your heart. This is going to blow your mind, Zechariah. But we've got to shut your mouth because you're going to mess this up. So, he, is that God? Yes, it was God. John the Baptist is the result of the fruit of that. Was that God? Yes, but it didn't act. God would never cause you not to speak for nine months and cause an old person to get pregnant? Oh, really? And so, my ways are not your ways, right? They're higher. Strange reactions can happen. How about weeping under the power? Nehemiah 8, 9 says, when the word was read. You ever come to the place where you, the word is read and all of a sudden you just tear up? Because the Holy Spirit is just witness to you, right? These are manifestations. How about number 10? A trance Paul saves Paul's life. You can read that in Acts 22. Apparent drunkenness, drunk-like behavior. Now, this one is wild. You know the story of Hannah, right? She wants a child, and her Elkanah, anyway. And what happens? Eli, the, the wicked priest who ends up losing his whole family and doesn't correct the, the sin in the camp, he sees Hannah, and she's mumbling, probably speaking in tongues or praying, and, and all says, you're drunk, woman. No, I'm not. He goes, okay, good. Keep praying. And he prophesies to her. This wicked priest prophesies to her, you're going to have a son. And he does. She does, right? Now, this is, the, this is weird. You've got to turn here because you've got to read it because I'm just going to give you my thoughts on it. Turn with me to 1 Samuel 19. 1 Samuel chapter 19. Now, context to where we are in this scripture, King Saul is a mess, okay? David has killed Goliath. He's jealous. In chapter 19, um, if you go back one, let me go back to chapter 18, Saul becomes jealous of David, right? First of all, there's a tormenting spirit. Saul has got a murdering spirit of jealousy on him. He has to even have had David come and play the harp to calm him down, bring peace, but he's trying to kill David. He's, he's working on how to destroy him. So he has, a, it says, a tormenting spirit, verse 10, chapter 18. So he's, he's demonized. King Saul is demonized. Now get a hold of this. He's demonized. He's got a murdering spirit. He is operating. He's going to get worse. It's going to get worse. He's going to go to witchcraft in a, in, a, in a bit. But we know that at that point, in, look at verse 19 in verse, uh, beginning in verse 24. 1 Samuel 19, 24. On the day, verse 23, on the day of Naoth and Ramoth, the Spirit of God, verse 23, the Spirit of God came upon Saul, and he too began to prophesy. All the way to Naoth, he tore off his clothes and lay naked on the ground all day and night, prophesying in the presence of Samuel. And the people were watching and exclaimed, what is this? Even Saul is a prophet. Now, here's my, my, uh, some revelation I think I have on this. You have a demonized king who comes into the presence of an almighty God. Now, I pray this doesn't happen at the church because I can hear it right now. If somebody gets naked up here and starts prophesying, that is not going to be good. I, I just, Lord, please. But I, I'm sure that that church, we can, you imagine the phone calls after this one, right? 
But here, here's the point. You as a person who, it, you can come into the presence of God with all of your junk. Hello? And you can, I don't know, it doesn't say what he prophesied, but obviously the prophets were there. We do know that he came into the presence of God and he prophesied. But I believe the nakedness was not the God thing. But there was a tormenting demonic spirit that probably tried to shut this thing down. I don't know what he was prophesying, but my, that, to me that is, not, that is not God, okay? Now, I understand God can do, and Lord, if it is you, I release that to you, but I know that by his demonic presence that was in him and this thing that happened. So there, what happens when you come into a, a supercharged environment and you've got people that especially happens in places where witchcraft is in the culture, and we've been in many of those, well, you'll find people that will manifest, and it'll be there, bang. I remember the guy who fell down here one time, fell down here, right here, pulling his hair out, banging his head against the ground. I said, that's not God, okay? So we ministered to him. But then there's other times people fall out under the Spirit, and they're laying there peaceful. Um, and I don't know if that's God. Or how about the, the ones that, ah, ah. well, that, that can't be God. That's not my experience. Oh, really? Um, guess what? There's fruit that comes from, anyway. So what I'm trying to convey to you is when the Holy Spirit comes, there is stuff going on in the room that the flesh can react to. The demonic presence. Remember when Jesus walked in the temple, the demon that was present, why have you come here, Jesus, to torment us above our time? See, the demons knew who he was. Now, the church members didn't, but that's okay. They, they're going to find out later. So what's the point? If you think that church service, if God shows up in a church service, buckle up. You don't know what's going to happen. And so, and ministering, pastoring in the midst of revival power requires a great deal of discernment and wisdom and a ministry team who's able to understand and discern as well. But do you want to quench the fire? Do you want to, do you want to grieve the Holy Spirit? No, because you'll know it by its fruit. That experience that I had in Brazil absolutely changed my life. And there are, I'm not exaggerating and I'm not boasting. It's all to his glory. There are hundreds upon hundreds of people that have come in the kingdom and thousands who have been delivered from demons as a result of that experience because of what he did. Now, I could have stayed there. Well, I don't want to mess with demons, right? I, anyway, my point of this is I've been on a journey and, I, and I'm trying to convey to us that there will be manifestations when someone's up there and all of a sudden, you know, if you've been here with Abner and others, like, ho! Like, wakes you up, right? It's like, <laughs> or it's like, ah! and like, that can't be God. Hey, I just can tell you, I've been with him for seven, eight years, and the fruit on his life, if he wants to shout a little bit, and people are going to get saved, and demons, come on. So, I will not quench. Now, there'll be those that, look, I just, I just can't handle that. Uh, okay. I'm, uh, uh, anyway, how about uh, let's keep going. Um, crying out loud. Uh, the, uh, there are so many scriptures on shout with the voice of the trumpet, right? Look at uh, one of our ladies who comes on inter intercession. You're all invited, by the way. It's Wednesdays, 9 to 1030. Well, one of our ladies, she says, I just, just can't keep it quiet. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And I said, Lord, what is that? And he said, that's uh, Isaiah 58, verse 1. Shout with the voice of the trumpet. Don't be timid. Amen. Oh, okay, that's in the book. So, and guess what? Every time that happens, we all get closer to the Lord. Just kind of like shout. I think the demons go, get out of here. Let's leave right now. Right? The religious spirits all run. I know that for sure. And so temporary blindness. Oh, God wouldn't do that. Oh, really? Ask uh, Ask Saul, who becomes Paul. Can you imagine meeting Jesus? He's like the, he's the Gestapo of the Pharisees. He's already locked people up. He's had stoning of Stephen. He's on his way to Damascus with a writ to sign up and get more people. And he meets Jesus, knocks down to the ground, blinded for three days. He can't eat. He doesn't drink. And he's praying. I love this scripture in Acts. Imagine being Ananias. Uh, who, who has to go and lay hands on him, right? In Acts, turn here, you guys, let's just look. Acts chapter 9, you doing okay? All right, 
We're going we're gonna to get there. In Acts chapter 9, it says, when approaching, verse 3, Acts 9, 3, when approaching Damascus on the, on the, on the mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. He falls to the ground, and he hears a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord, Saul asked. The voice replied, I'm Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Whoa, don't mess with my kids. Now get up and go into the city. You'll be told what you must do. Wow. The men who were there, they were, they were, he was blind. They lead him away. So now, verse 10, how do you like to be this guy? Now there was another believer in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord spoke to him in a vision, calling, Ananias, yes, Lord, the Lord said, go over to the straight street, to the house of Judas, where you'll get there. There's a man from Tarsus named Saul. He's praying to me right now. Can you imagine that? Paul, Saul, is praying. He's blind for three days in the fast, and he's probably going, I'm so sorry, God. I don't know what he's praying, but I'm sure I know what. God, I'm so sorry I messed this up, and oh my gosh, I killed Stephen. I'm locked people up. I'm like, oh, can you imagine that prayer? And you're blind. You're going to be blind the rest of your life? What is this? And he says, go lay hands on him so he can see. So, of course, he goes. The scales fall off. He's baptized. And you know the rest of that story. So this is that place where would God cause blindness? That's, man. How about wild, undignified dancing? Might have seen some of that today. Um, (laughs) Praise the Lord. It's awesome. And, you know, I love what David says is when his wife made fun of him and David took out his, off his outer garments and danced with all of his might. And then he goes on and says, woman, if you think that's something, I'm going to be more undignified than that. Uh, that sounded like maybe something Saul might do. I don't know. <sighs> Keep your clothes on, David, please. Dancing undignified. Okay, so let's go on. When we look at this, my purpose of this is to lay on is a whole lot more scriptures. The Father gives these good gifts. Here's my concern. Do we have more faith in fear of deception than we have faith in the Holy Spirit to lead us in truth? Do you trust the Holy Spirit to tell you the truth? And what's your relationship? Or are you more afraid that the devil will deceive you? Come on. That's a real honest question you need to ask yourself. Right? Number two, the Father's gift of the Holy Spirit. Ask him. He tells us, we've hit this one hard, but he doesn't, he tells you in Acts uh, in John 11, I'm sorry, Luke 11:13, 13, he says, ask the Father, he'll give you the gifts. If evil fathers know how to give good gifts, how much more will the heavenly Father, if you ask for bread, he won't give you a snake or a scorpion. So the Father isn't going to give you snakes and scorpions. Hello? All right, Holy Spirit gifts builds the church. 1 Corinthians 12, he gives gifts. Number four, Jesus gives gifts to equip the church. That's the fivefold ministry gifts. All right, next page. In conclusion... To the rational mind, this is in 1 Corinthians 2.14, the rational mind, this is where I was when I walked in here the first time, these things all seem pretty foolish. Now, we're not to believe every spirit, but you'll know it by the fruit. That should be 1 John 4.1, not John 4.1. So that's that test the spirit, try him. And then in Matthew 7 there at the top of that page, it says you'll know it by its fruit. There was a Christian sociologist, you can look her up if you'd like, Margaret Paloma. She surveyed a 1,000 people who fell out in the spirit. She wanted to know, okay, what was going on? So she interviewed them, and this is the results of that survey. 92% of them that fell out said, I love Jesus more. And 82% of them said, I'm more motivated to share Christ now. So that sounds like pretty good fruit. So, okay, when... If we don't have enough faith in the Holy Spirit to lead us, then we have to ask the Lord, what does that really mean? We need to trust that the Holy Spirit will talk to us. And just because you have not experienced something does not mean it's not God. You are not, you are not God, okay? Now, test it, try it, see it. Now, here's another one I hear. Well, self-control. What about self-control? I thought that was a fruit. It is. Self-control for what? Ah. God's idea of self-control is against sin and temptation, not against not responding to God. You're not going to have self-control to avoid God. That's crazy. 
Why would the Holy Spirit give you the Holy Spirit of self, uh, the spirit and fruit of, the, of self-control to resist God? Come on, are you, hello? Duh. I mean, so, well, you know, what about self-control? Self-control for what? That really could be pride wrapped up in your fear of looking in, undignified. Well, I don't want people to look at me strange. What if they, what if I, what will they judge me? So, you're more worried about the fear of man than the fear of God? Hello, be careful. So, I get it. You know, that doesn't mean we, the flesh likes to behave in ways too. Like, if, it's amazing. I probably experienced this. Maybe you have. You can have, in the midst of ministry, you can have someone being electrocuted, right? And the other person here is sitting there thinking, man, it's almost time for that roast that's cooking at home. I just sure, <laughs> sure hope the pastor finishes up here, right? How can that be? It's like, whoa, where, where's your heart? What's the, what's the condition of your heart? And are you, we know from, right, in, Ma- in Mark chapter 6, and he's doing great miracles in Mark chapter 5, right? The Jairus is raised, the daughter's raised from the dead, the woman with the issue of blood. Then he goes to, to, to the next chapter, he goes to his hometown, and guess what? He can't do many miracles there because of their unbelief. That's why when you've got a congregation that doesn't believe in healing, doesn't believe that God should, guess what? Shuts the whole thing down. That's why he didn't bring everybody up into the upper room to go lay hands on the sick daughter of Jairus. He turned to the Father and says, have faith and believe. Don't be afraid. Believe. Sometimes you got to dismiss the unfaithful believers because they don't have enough power in the room. You're, you're hindering the flow of God. What if there's someone here that's dying and needs God to show up? Or they got a, they got a member of their family that needs to know Christ, but because of your unbelief, you're shutting the whole thing down. Come on. we got to be convicted in this way. i got to come prepared i got to come prepared to worship God and to worship Him in presence because when He's drawn, He's drawn to it. Let me, let me kind of, there's one scripture I passed over, but I want to go back and just have you turn to it. This worship in 2 Chronicles 5, look what happens here in 2 Chronicles chapter 5. That's why we long to worship. We desire to worship. We're trying to encourage our worshipers to just break out, have a a lifestyle that is so pure and open. So in 5, verse 11, this is in 2 Chronicles 5, 11. Look at what happened. You're a priest, right? I told you, you're a holy priesthood, uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, a royal priesthood. Then... The priests left the holy place, and all the priests were present, had purified themselves. Interesting. They got rid of all their defilements. They, they probably took communion, whatever it was, right? No communion that day, but they got themselves in a place purified, whether or not they were on duty or not that day. So even if you're not preaching, guess what? Come un, in a clean place. The Levites, they all came. They, they worshiped together. Guess what? They were all dressed in fine linen. They stood at the east side of the altar playing cymbals, lyres, harps. They were joined by 120 priests playing trumpets. Can you imagine 120 priests blowing trumpets? The trumpets and the singers performed together, singers in unison with praise, giving thanks to the Lord, accompanied by trumpets and cymbals and instruments. And that doesn't sound like, praise the Lord. Three hymns and out you go. No, it's not that. It's like, come on, I'm, I'm not trying to be critical. So this is, so he is, they were singing, he is good. His faithful love endures forever. God liked that so much. Guess what happens? At that moment, a thick cloud filled the temple of the Lord, and the priests could not continue their service because of the cloud and the glorious presence of the Lord that filled the temple. So if you wonder why we want high praise, what do we do? Lift up your voice, Right? Join in. This is not some spectator thing. Get your heart in a place. Shut off all the other distractions. Get yourself in the presence. Prepare during the week. Because when that happens, what can he do? What is he going to do? So let me finish. Um, That charged atmosphere, number six on the back of conclusions. When God is moving, carnal behavior and demonic spirits, they can act up. They can't hide in the presence. We've had people go catatonic 
for almost an hour and a half sitting there. As soon as a woman walked in first time, she sat there for an hour and a half after service, unable to move. Some of you are here. You did the deliverance on that. And so we've had others that come in and say, I feel sick to my stomach. I want to run. I want to run. Hmm. We've had others that can't even, they come in and they'll start screaming. Why? Because the presence of God is there. And light and darkness, the light always wins. The devil will try to take cover, but he can't. When you get a charge, if, the, if there's no Holy Spirit present in the room, then he can hide. So when you say, well, I want the, do you really want the present? Do you want the crazy? Like, that's like, I've been in times when, you, you know the story in Brazil, that time in the Amazon where all of a sudden things started to happen. The deaf mute started singing, speaking, like, and Randy turned to me and says, I've lost control and God's here. And when God's here, his idea is a little different than ours, right? And so, you know, you got, you got a bloody tumor laying in the front of the altar that fell out of a woman's body, right? Like, that's a church service? Yeah, he kind of liked healing that woman, you know? Watch out. Don't step in it. It's like, Lord, have mercy. I'm like, God, I have so much to learn. Now, I'll just conclude on the last thing. Mature believers through training have the skill. It's one of my favorite verses. I use it almost every day. Mature believers through training have the skill, King James, by reason of use, to recognize the difference between right and wrong. King James says good and evil. I'm asking you all to be mature believers, to operate in the Spirit, ask the Lord to show you, not be afraid, test and try, but... If this coming weekend, it gets a little interesting in here, I just wanted you to be prepared. Okay? So, all right. So let's, uh, let's stand. I want to invite the ministry team up. If you're here, I know um, if you're here, don't leave if, if there's anything going on that you just need agreement on. It says if two or three would agree. So, Lord, I just... Thank you this morning. Lord, we, we're trying to stay within the lanes and understand Scripture in a way that, one, we never want to grieve you. We don't want to, by the way we live, the things we say, we don't want to grieve you. But at the same time, we don't want to quench you. But at the same time, we want to know that by the fruit, you're the one who is the God who deserves all the glory and all the praise for everything that you do. And we want to be good friends of God. I've really been motivated by that scripture in John that says, he no longer calls you servants, he calls you friends. So Lord, I just pray right now that this revelation of the friendship of God, God, I ask that your presence would go with us, that their houses would be filled with the presence of God, that they would be able to discern when they up, come up against the spirit of darkness or the spirit of light, they'll understand and then have the wisdom to know what to do, that wisdom, knowledge, and discernment. God, I thank you. I've heard testimonies even this morning of multiple people coming to Christ by testimony and witnessing that's been done by this body this week. Lord, I thank you. As we go out the doors of this mission field, I ask for divine appointments, divine appointments and opportunities I had one yesterday, 45 minutes of questions about what happens when you die from one of the guys I was hunting with. God, I thank you for these divine appointments, God. Make us ready in season to speak the truth. So I thank you, Lord, for what you're doing. So we lift up next weekend to you all the, this Wednesday night, the Imagine Heaven. What a great te teaching Pastor Terry's doing there. Imagine Heaven. People who've had near-death experiences, over a thousand near-death experiences, both Muslims, unbelievers, Christians, who speak of the same thing, don't even know anything about Scripture, and validate the Scriptures. Oh, my God, it's so incredible. You don't have to be afraid of death. There is no sting. And those that have lost loved ones, even this week, I pray God's blessing on you. Peace in your heart no fear. Lord, we thank you for what you're doing here among us. We give you praise today. In Jesus' name, don't forget Kingdom Women, Kingdom Men tomorrow night, 7 o'clock. Wednesday night, Imagine Heaven.
What an amazing testimony of what God is doing. And then, Lord, we thank you. Friday night, 6 o'clock. Don't miss it. Put it on your calendar. 1 o'clock Saturday. 6 o'clock Saturday. Come on. Come expecting. Be prayed up. Come with a song in your heart, a, a, a message on your, on your lips about what God's going to do. What are your prayer requests for this weekend? You're going to be in a supercharged environment with His prophetic and word. And if you come asking God, what is your prayer request? Ask God. Seek, knock. Ask Him. So, Lord, I thank you. I ask your protection and covering over us now in your precious name. Amen. God bless you all. Thank you.